Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about malaria, and it's really the first time in a long time that you and I have discussed medical issues. And I think the last time we talked about this was during the 2014-2015 Ebola crisis, where, of course, China played a very important role in West Africa in combating and kind of rolling back the the crisis from the the brink that it really brought much of uh, Liberia and Western Africa to. Uh, but yet, you know, behind all of the the, the HIV and uh, the the Ebolas that capture all the headlines is malaria. And malaria is really one of the most pressing public health challenges in Africa, but even around the world. Uh, it kills at the same levels as diabetes, HIV, and it's even ahead of lung cancer. But yet it doesn't get the same types of headlines that the others disease, those other diseases do. And then well, here's an amazing statistic, Obis. 90% of malaria deaths occur in sub-Saharan Africa. And this is the tragic part, is that the vast majority of the victims are children under five. Uh, so it's costing about 400,000 African lives a year. Uh, somewhere in the, in the range of $12 billion a year is lost in productivity and opportunity, according to the World Bank. So let's kind of talk about what is being done. The Chinese now are starting to step into the malaria space. And remember, as a developing country, uh, they have quite a bit of experience in dealing with these uh, infectious diseases and these kind of air, you know, mosquito-borne diseases. Uh, big parts of southern China are in fact tropical, so it actually makes sense that the Chinese would bring a lot of their know-how and their expertise to Africa in fighting diseases like malaria. Uh, the data that we're looking at is about 123, 124 million dollars. Uh, is spent by the Chinese in anti-malaria assistance. Uh, just to give you some context, uh, that's dwarfed by what the United States is going to spend just this year in fighting malaria, somewhere around $750 million in 2017. So, Cobus, uh, the Chinese are spending over $100 million. The Americans are spending somewhere close to a billion dollars. So I guess the question is, why aren't these two actually working together if they are fighting the same battle? That is a big question. Um, it is malaria is frequently seen as a, as an area of potential cooperation between the U.S. and China in Africa. I think among other reasons because a it is a, a big pressing health concern. You mentioned how many people die of malaria. That's that is already a, a you know massive tragedy. The second tragedy around malaria is the fact that a lot of Africans have you know long-term repeated bouts of malaria and, and frequently, you know, you have uh, situations where people are very weakened by, by repeated bouts of malaria. So it is, malaria has a direct developmental, you know, kind of impact in Africa. So it's, it's not only the tragedy of, of the deaths, of course, but then the additional kind of developmental lag that, that it brings um, in economically in Africa. Um and, you know, it's also, it, it pres it's a great space for collaboration potentially because it carries less kind of political baggage than something like HIV does, you know, kind of where, where different forms of treatment um, and, you know, kind of issues around sexuality and so on complicate the, the, the treatment picture in Africa significantly. So on, the, on paper, it seems like a perfect space for collaboration. Okay, so there's some new ideas that are now starting to float around about how the United States and China... Uh, can work together. Now, remember, the United States and China 
uh, do not do much in Africa together. And in many places, they're bumping up against one another, particularly in places like South Sudan, where both are actively involved in the peace process there, and of course, during the Ebola crisis. But some ideas now are circulating about how malaria might be the area that the United States and China collaborate. A new paper just came out of, or is about to come out, in fact, uh, how China and the United States can collaborate with Africa to eradicate malaria. The two authors, Dr. Yahweh Liu, is the director of the China program at the Carter Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And William Pierce is the proud owner of a freshly minted master's in public health degree uh, from Emory University at the school of the Rollins School of Public Health, also in Atlanta. And he's also the China program's graduate assistant ship. Uh, so both Yahweh and Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're, we're the first time the Carter Center is on the show. Uh, really very, very honored to have you guys with us. Let's get right to the basic question. Uh, it's the question that I posed to, to Kobus. Okay, the United States is spending a lot of money fighting malaria. The Chinese are spending a lot of money fighting malaria. Uh, Yahweh, tell me, why isn't it that these two are actually working more closely together? Well, they're not working closely together because I think what is missing is, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we were in Washington and Kirk Campbell, the former assistant secretary, in charge of Asia and the Pacific said, you know, there is no habit of collaboration between U.S. and China uh, anywhere uh, in the world. And of course, Af Africa is one area. You mentioned earlier that uh, China and the United States did work together in South Sudan, uh, waging peace there, and uh, working together on fighting Ebola is another example. And I think you, other than these two, you know, William and I have been working uh, very hard for the past several months to look for where else uh, collaboration has taken place. I mean, uh, they're, they're just missing. And we think uh, malaria probably is a good area. I guess the key thing here is, you know, there is suspicion uh, toward each other by the Chinese against Americans, Americans against Chinese, because Americans are accusing Chinese of uh, uh, extracting everything good from Africa. I think the Chinese are basically criticizing the Americans that they're doing everything uh, to export uh, so-called Western values. So they don't have confidence in each other. William, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what you, how the, the American and Chinese approaches to treating malaria on the ground. How are they similar and how are they different? Are, are they essentially doing the same thing or overlapping things? Or is there a, a kind of a natural space for them where they can easily collaborate? Yes, I think that's a great question. And what we're finding is both the United States and China have these multi-pronged responses to malaria in sub-Saharan Africa with many complementary elements as well as many elements that directly overlap. So the Chinese, for example, are constructing a lot of healthcare facilities. This includes 30 hospitals and 30 anti-malaria centers across Africa. These anti-malaria centers provide basic outpatient care for Africans. The uh, Chinese have also sent uh, Chinese medical teams throughout Africa since 1963, which provide free care in often rural or resource-limited settings. And they also provide training both in China and in Africa to uh, 
African healthcare workers. The provision of medical equipment, including microscopes and anti-malaria drugs, is also relatively commonplace in the Chinese Global Health Assistance Program. The United States, on the other hand, has a much more broad approach. Uh, you may be familiar with the President's Malaria Initiative. This uh, interagency uh, initiative includes USAID, is led by USAID, and is implemented with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the Health and Human Service. And this has technical and cross-cutting areas. So we see within the President's Malaria Initiative um, those complementary elements, such as bed net distributions. Obviously, this is a very common uh, preventative measure. You provide individuals in sub-Saharan Africa with bed nets. They sleep under them. They're not bitten by the mosquito, and then malaria cannot be uh, transmitted to them. And then, again, we see that direct overlap with the provision of uh, medical equipment and also the, uh, the training of Africans um, in a, a much similar fashion to the Chinese. Okay, so you brought up the president, uh, and so I'm going to, you know, that's the, the proverbial elephant in the room here, um, is Donald Trump. And you, in your paper, and, and this was kind of what I was a little bit perplexed by, um, there were two key pieces of information to me that were missing in the paper. Donald Trump has made it abundantly clear that Africa is not a priority for him, in fact, he's made it very clear that foreign assistance is not a priority for him, and he's made it clear that they're going to cut the aid budget. Um, so whatever the president is doing now, probably a year from now, is going to be a lot less. The second thing that was missing from the paper, in my opinion, was what's the incentive for these two to work together? I don't get what they, what they benefit. I was trying to understand, like, why would the Chinese want to work with the Americans? The USAID system is a complicated, bureaucratic, bloated system that is incredibly difficult to navigate. Why in any reason would the Chinese want to somehow tie up their aid system into a system that's not complementary at all with theirs? I'd like to get both of your responses to, to those two questions. So Dr. Yao, Dr. Liu, for, you know, again, the Trump question, we have to talk about it because it's a reality that confronts anything that involves spending lots of money in Africa which is not a priority for this administration, and also what's the incentive for these two governments to actually work together when they themselves don't see anything? Yeah, President Trump was uh, elected on the, on the pledge that uh, America first, uh, that uh, the United States should uh, reduce uh, foreign aid and should reduce its engagement uh, global, globally. Uh, and I think it's on that pledge uh, he, he was uh, elected. I, I think there is a sense of... Uh, Tiredness. There is a sense of you know what about our crumbling infrastructure? What about our crumbling schools? You know, uh, taxpayers' money should be spent more here. At home. But we actually looked at the budget that was recently approved by Congress. Most of the health initiatives in Africa and other developing countries are being preserved. So here is the deal: is that you know President Trump has his own preferences, but there is also Congress that uh, he will have to overcome, and uh, so far he has not been able to yeah, but do that. For the president, example, but with I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the president sets the agenda, yeah. and his heart isn't in this. 
The State Department's heart is not in this. So he, maybe this year's budget got through because, frankly, it's their first year in office. This is a very chaotic administration. But you got to think over the next two, three, four years, they're going to figure out how to cut the budget. So this is you got to reprieve for a year, but maybe next year it won't be that way. Exactly. I, I think that that's sad and that's unfortunate if that is the case. But that also provides uh, an opening. Uh, for uh, a certain, a certain, more assertive China, uh, sort of to, to take the the vacancy. What we heard uh, is that even during the Mar-a-Lago meeting, uh, President Xi Jinping of China expressed the interest of China contributing the the PEPFAR uh, initiative if uh, U.S. is going to cut the, the budget. So that basically uh, takes us to the second question: Is uh, what does both countries get? from collaborating in Africa. I think uh, the United States and China both realize the African continent uh, is important, not only for its own sake, but also for the, for the future of peace and harmony of the world. And, and there's also a, a radicalization of the population angle here that both countries are quite uh, aware. Uh, so for both countries, Africa is very important, not just you know, to sustain peace but also uh, to, to sustain development uh, so that, you know, that continent can become, oftentimes people say, you know, the, 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 the land of hope, uh, the, the land of future prosperity. I mean, just to be cynical, uh, Africa is very important, both to China and the United States, uh, for, uh, as a, a potential huge market for products and, and services from both countries. So... That uh, premise is there. Both countries, and they're not going to, quote-unquote, abandon this continent. So they all have their own resources and investment. So the, the unfortunate fact that we're confronting, and it's also our goal to try to reduce that, is for the two countries to share information and, if possible, uh, to discuss how they're going to coordinate and collaborate so that they could create synergy when they provide developmental assistance, including public health assistance. Yeah, I would just quickly add, you're absolutely correct, and there's been some alarming cuts proposed, but based upon our research, it seems that vaccine efforts such as the Gavi Alliance, and then, like Dr. Liu mentioned, PEPFAR, and uh, the President's Malaria Initiative have been spared. So within the foreign assistance programs or foreign assistance world, those are a few winners in a sea of losers. I would just highlight what, um, when it comes to China and the United States collaborating when it comes to malaria assistance, I think the overall health assistance programs that each country provides can be enhanced. So one interesting thing that we found is uh, there's been almost a similar uh, mentality in China that as, you know, China develops as the Chinese themselves require a and demand a better standard of health care, there is a level of skepticism in terms of the resources that are being sent to sub-Saharan Africa. And one thing that the Chinese program can improve upon is a, a stronger uh, a monitoring and evaluation scheme, which is part of the president's malaria initiative. So getting those numbers to justify the cost can uh, 
produce stronger health outcomes. I would also say that the Chinese have done some really innovative work in uh, malaria control, for example, in the Comoros Islands, where they actually addressed malaria by looking at infected individuals, not looking at combating the mosquito vector, which is uh, almost ubiquitous across other uh, malaria programs. So having that uh, information on you know, cost efficiency and the possible ability to scale up those programs is another advantage, we feel, a Chinese-American dialogue in the health area um, could, could bring benefit to all players, both the Africans who are going to have uh, better health outcomes and both the Chinese and the Americans who are going to be able to enhance their own uh, public health outreach programs. But, um, Bill, on, on that point, um, you also mentioned in the paper that, you know, on, on the surface, one would assume, you know, that African governments would be all on board because, you know, malaria is a massively destructive and expensive problem for them. But you also mentioned in the paper that there are actually some misgivings among African government officials about U.S.-Chinese collaboration in, in, in this effort. Um, I wonder if you could unpack their attitude to, to this collaboration a little bit more. So the, the China program uh, focused on uh, promoting collaboration between U.S. and China in Africa. And we're aware constantly the challenge is uh, that on the African side, there is a concern, there is a fear of a G2. A sort of solution to African uh, problems or difficulties and, and issues. Uh, so uh, during our past meetings, uh, we've been talking about this, we've been inviting Africans, and uh, the Chinese approach uh, on the foreign aid issue is always everything has to be proposed by Africans, approved, approved by Africans, and led by Africans. And this is what is missing. Uh, I think another obstacle for future U.S.-China collaboration on this is until and unless Africans are going to take the lead saying, we want you countries to work together with us to, for example, you know, reduce or eventually eliminate malaria, you know, that collaboration probably won't happen. I mean, just on their own, uh, of their own volition, maybe Americans and the Chinese can share uh, best practices, but on the ground, they probably, if Africans are not inviting, they're probably going to do it uh, them, themselves. So the African CDC, you know, where we're optimistic is that the African CDC is the single most important example or instance of Africans asking China, United States, and other donors to work together to establish this. So we're we're hopeful that this instance is going to be extended uh, to other areas of developmental assistance. I mean, there's only so much from each country to be contributed uh, to, to Africa. Uh, if there is no coordination and share of information, I think a lot of the resources probably uh, get squandered. They could be put to best use if there is at least share of information. Yeah, I, I would just add that we are starting to see uh, a change in mentality or a shift in mentality. 
Chinese-American collaboration has been praised by the Liberian president, Alan Johnson Sirleaf, and the Tanzanian president has welcomed China into the Tanzanian multi-donor uh, anti-malaria program. So while there is obstacles to this, we are starting to see a shift in mentality and more opportunities for this novel collaboration. Kobus, where I can see some potential is on the multilateral side of things. So through the United Nations, through ECOWAS, through uh, the African Union, where we've talked in a number of different shows, and of course with the uh, former, the head of the UN in China who talked about how uh, the Beijing is embracing uh, these multilateral organizations much more than they did 10 years ago. Um, I will have to say, though, that I'm very skeptical that the United States and China have a lot of potential to work together, and in part because there's no natural constituency that is pushing it from either side. In fact, I would say that populations on both sides of the Pacific are increasingly populist, nationalistic, skeptical of the others. Uh, we've seen public surveys now in China about a growing level of cynicism towards the United States. And certainly Donald Trump over the course of the campaign kind of fueled this perception that China is America's enemy. So again, I don't see any natural constituency that would want to be promoting this. Um, and more importantly, the Chinese don't feel welcome in the Western aid system. I mean, after all, they were so frustrated with what was going on in Washington with the World Bank that they set up their own World Bank through the AIIB, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. And they're setting up parallel systems uh, with the BRICS Bank and whatnot outside of the Western aid system. So it seems very, very kind of a big jump for me to see that they would then want to jump into it. Kobus, what's your final thoughts on this? Okay, I'll, I'll take a, a slightly different tack. I think maybe healthcare offers the the perfect space for collaboration you know kind of with the proviso that there need obviously needs to be political will and i think I, I agree with you that at the moment political will seems to be lacking especially on the american side right i mean not not in the whole of the american side but particularly within the the the, the white house at the moment um however you know as you say multilateralism you know the you know china's very pro multilateral cooperation so so i think there is there is a, a a glimmer of a chance i would also say that that you know kind of this kind of collaboration africa offers a great opportunity for this kind of collaboration and i mean if it were possible for the us and chinese militaries to work together for example in um, in anti piracy operations off the coast of somalia then you know comparatively shared healthcare is actually less con less controversial, less you know, kind of potentially dangerous than than that kind of collaboration. So I think you know, kind of, I, I from an Af African perspective, I want to be optimistic because malaria is a massive problem in Africa and it's a systemic problem that is just not going going to go away, and it's going to take a lot of money to fix it. So I I would agree with um, with Yahweh and, and William that the best you know the, the best application of these resources would be would be optimum. Um, but I share your doubts in terms of whether the political world is really there at the moment. Okay, Yahweh, Bill, let's get your final thoughts. Where are we going to be five years from now? Yahweh, are we going to see Sino-American you know, uh, anti-malarial programs in Africa? Or is this just something that's going to take a lot longer, in your opinion? I, I think you know what you mentioned earlier about uh, structural uh, as well as uh, fundamental issues uh, that hinders U.S.-China collaboration. I, I think... We probably are seeing, if not a sea change, but you know some change of substance uh, from both sides in terms of you know how 
one side is looking at the other. You know, since uh, the meeting in Mar-a-Lago, the, the relationship between Washington and Beijing has become much closer. This is uh, largely because of the crisis uh, in, in the Korean uh, Peninsula. Uh, I think uh, Secretary of State Tillerson also has uh, uh, heartened the Chinese while he said the uh, United States will stop uh, promoting Western values against foreign policy. We're going to focus more on uh, result-oriented uh, approaches. And, and the Chinese like that. I, I think the China side has gradually realized uh, probably this is going to be a slow process, that there is no conspiracy uh, on the side of Washington, that uh, everyone from Pentagon, from Foggy Bottom, and the White House, you know, want to undermine the rights of, of China. So in five years, you know, I, I'm glad uh, the uh, Gulf of uh, Aden anti-piracy initiative was mentioned, because we've been working on anti-piracy among Chinese and Americans, as well as Western Africans uh, in the Gulf of Guinea. So I'm very hopeful, and we recently had a workshop in China on how to bring U.S. and China closer uh, on health uh, engagement. So I, with, with you know, podcasts like yours and support from USIP and SIA, uh, as, as long as we keep working on this to promote this uh, collaboration and sharing of information in three to five years, I, I think you know, the, the African CDC is also going to take off. That will open a much larger vista uh, for, for the three uh, stakeholders, African countries, the United States, and China, uh, to work much closer. Yeah, I think with uh, the tremendous success that the uh, Chinese and Americans have had in working with Afri African partners in addressing Ebola, and now with the African CDC, these instances of successful collaboration are going to become more apparent and more visible. I'm optimistic that with these realities and with stronger health outcomes and with a more uh, financially frugal utilization of resources, more and more leaders and individuals are going to get behind uh, collaborative efforts and see the value in them. I, I can't tell you if malaria uh, is going to be that in five years, but I do think that there are some very compelling arguments for uh, stronger coordination that is to everyone's benefit. Bill Pierce and Dr. Yahweh Lu are the authors of an upcoming article, How China and the United States Can Collaborate with Africa to Eradicate Malaria, both Yahweh and Bill are with the Carter Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and thank you both of you for coming on the show and for being far more optimistic about the future than I am. Thank you. <laughs> we, thank you. We, we count on you to be more optimistic than me. Kobus, uh, you know, it's good that we're ending on a positive note, so I'm happy that it's not always a downer when uh, on these kinds of things. So uh, we'd like to see more U.S.-China cooperation. It's something that everybody dreams about. We haven't seen it yet, but again, with these ideas that are being put out, uh, by uh, by Yahweh and Bill and also Saya and what we're doing. We hope, again, that we can continue the discussion. If you would like to join the conversation, of course, all the different ways are available to you. LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, email. We have an email newsletter that goes out every Monday. Go to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com and you can sign up. You'll get the top China Africa stories delivered to your inbox every Monday morning East Coast time. Kobus uh, and I put that together and we put papers in like, uh, hopefully when this is published, we'll publish... Um, we'll We'll share 
Bill and Yahweh's paper with everybody. So until next week, we'll be back again with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>